In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who unifies us together as His body, and makes us into gifts for this whole world. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, every week, Blake Kanzer, Elder Blake Kanzer here, gets an email from me. On Sunday afternoon, after I'm done logging, all of you folks that have been here, um, all of you members, I, I uh, put a little X by your name if you've been here, and a little blank by your name, and if it's been three weeks or more, then you start getting a color, and depending on that color, Blake and I kind of work out, okay, do we need to drop the hammer, and Blake's a big guy, um, and he, he might come after you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, along with that, he also gets one other document from me, and that is my toggle time log. Now, if none of you have ever used toggle before, it's a fantastic little tool. It's essentially a stopwatch um, that is attached to a web browser, and it allows you to keep track of how long you're doing certain things. In fact, it was built for lawyers in order to keep track of their billable hours. And so what I use it for is I keep track of the things that I'm doing while I'm here, and then I send that over to Blake just as so that he can be my overseer so that he can um, make sure that I'm not playing solitaire for four hours a day. Um, and so he, he kind of keeps track of that. And ever since I've been using Toggle, it's, it's been sort of this thing that has sparked ultimate curiosity in me. Because now that I track all of my time, and I know pretty much exactly how, what I do each day and for how long I do each of those things, I begin to wonder, well, what's this like for other people? I begin to wonder, well, what, what do you spend your day doing? How much time do you spend responding to email, which I hate? How long do you spend, you know, preparing for sermons? Probably not as long as what I do. How long do you spend at what you're doing? And so I, I thought, you know, it'd be really interesting if we just all agreed to get on toggle together, and then next week we decided that we were going to share those with everybody, and that as a group, as University Lutheran, we were able to say, okay, this is what University Lutheran does. This is how University Lutheran spends its time. And it would be really interesting seeing the variety of things that University Lutheran actually does. Because all of you are out there in the world doing different things. Some of you are studying, some of you are working, some of you are, well, kind of lazy, but that's, uh, we, we'll forgive you. Um, and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that could happen in that. And I began to wonder, you know, what would that time be like? And if somebody took a look at our time log together as a congregation, would they be able to say very clearly, whoa, that's obviously a church. And it's an interesting question that Paul is addressing today, because what Paul is saying in our reading today is that a church is more than what's happening just in this building. That a church is what's happening in your lives. 
and we're going to jump into that. But since I started off talking about time, um, I, I have some confessing to do. That's a good thing to do in church, right? Um, ever since I've been doing this expository preaching thing, I've been running over. Um, and, and that's not good. You, you guys have places to be. Um, and so what, what I'm going to do is, uh, since I've been running over, I'm going to start my stopwatch. Um, and if, if it gets to, I figure I've wasted about three minutes now. Um, and it, so I'm going to set it for 12. And if it beeps, we're done. Uh, we, we just have to wait until maybe next week to, to do the rest of the sermon. So you ready? Uh, that, that means that you have to be along with me because one of the things that I do is if you look like you're confused or you're going to sleep, I stop and I, and I redo that point. Um, and, and so don't go to sleep and don't look like you're confused, even if you are. All right? You ready? Let's go. All right. So, Ephesians 4, starting verse 1. Grab your celebrate, grab your Bible, grab whatever you need to. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, and bearing with one another in love. What Paul is saying there is that his vocation... The thing that he's doing is being a prisoner. That's what he is. And vocation, if you listen to that word, you hear the same root word as our word, vocal. And that kind of gives you a clue as to what a vocation is, as opposed to what a job might be. A vocation is a calling. If you were going to sort of translate it down into a little bit dumber English, it would mean calling. Now, what your calling is, is essentially what you are called. So, some of you are called mommy. And that is a vocation. Even though it's not necessarily a job, that is a vocation since you are called that. Some of you have very highfalutin titles. You're, you know, super director of this and that and the other thing. But, uh, but other people know what to call you. You're the IT guy. Whatever your... your uh, actual title might be, if you're the IT guy, people don't call you by your title. They call you by your calling. So that calling, that thing that people call you, that's your vocation. And we can have several different vocations. You can be an IT guy or gal and be a mommy at the same time. But it's that sense of calling that other people rely upon you for something, and showing that, they call you something. And so if you're called a student, that means that we're relying upon you to be a student. And if you're called somebody who is the president, or if you're called as somebody who is called a small business owner, or whatever it might be, if you're called a mechanic and I need to take my car to you, that's your calling. That's your vocation. And Paul here is saying, I've got a pretty cruddy vocation right now. They call me prisoner. 
but I'm going to talk to you about you all's vocation. And so we're going to keep on moving. Uh, he says, you know, whatever it is, even if it's prisoner, make sure that you fulfill that calling to which you have been called with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. Make sure that, that it's a good way that you're living out your calling no matter what it is. And then he goes on, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope in your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above and through all in all. And if you catch what he's saying there at the beginning, he says, make sure that you make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. He's not saying that you create that. Because if we did create the unity that we would have in this church building, it probably wouldn't look like what it does. The unity that we have brings people together from all sorts of different places in life and unites them together with one spirit, one baptism, one faith, one God and Father of all. Even though we may have several different vocations, we're all drawn together by that one unity of the Spirit. And Paul says, maintain that. Do a good job of keeping that together. It's already been put together. It gets put together every time that we're here together and we say, I poor miserable sinner. Because everybody has that vocation. You're called a sinner, and that's what you are. And the vocation of sinner is simply to come to a place where you are recognizing that you are sinning, and you're coming before God and saying, I repent of my sins, I need your forgiveness. And then you receive the vocation of saint. Because what God does is He says, I'm going to trade you. You are now called sinner, I am now going to call you saint. Holy one. And I'm going to give you that vocation instead of your vocation of a sinner. And that's what Paul is saying. Maintain that unity. That unity of being a sinner and a saint. Of repenting and receiving forgiveness. And then he goes on. But to each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it was said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does that mean? But that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. Earth who... Who, he who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heaven, so that he might fill all things. We're going to jump over a bunch of that, because it's going to take a way long time, and the clock is ticking. But, the important thing to recognize in there is when he says, But to each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. How much is Christ's gift? Because however much you think Christ's gift is, is how much gifting you have. And so if you have read your Bible and you've actually figured out how much Christ's gift is to you, Christ's gift to you is over and over again. It's eternity. That's why we believe in something that's so strange and so bizarre as eternal life in a resurrection. Because that gift just keeps on giving. That's Christ's gift. And that's your gift as well. Because you have been called into that unity of the Holy Spirit. You have been called into that through the baptism. 
You've been called to be a saint. And part of what being a saint means is being eternal. So over and over again, without end. That's what Paul is saying here. So that God might fill all things through His grace given to you and then you given to others as gifts. And he talks about what kind of gifts you might be. So here we go. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so if you turn that into a little acronym, what you get is you have been called to be a pests. You have been called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, which is another word for pastor, teacher, and everybody together as saints. That your vocation here is to be a saint as everybody together, but your vocations are separate and distinct. Some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some shepherds. Uh, there's actually kind of a neat little quiz that you can take online, and um, I, I don't put much stock in it, but they'll actually tell you which one of these things that you are, uh, given uh, how you answer certain questions. Um, and I came out as a, uh, they give you two, um, I came out as a prophet teacher, which means that I can explain things to you that will then make you want to take me out and stone me. Um, uh, it, I, and it actually sort of fits. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so it, it's, it's kind of interesting. So what would you be in this, in this church? What's your gift? What's your vocation? What do people call you here? And some of you, honestly, some of you get to say... They call me just about everything under the sun here. I'm here when the doors aren't even open yet. I'm waiting to get in. I do all sorts of stuff here. I'm on four different committees. I do all sort of stuff. People call me all sorts of different things. And some of you, some of you are like, well, I'm not really sure that I want to be a gift. Um, and, and so I don't get called a lot here. In fact, I try to keep my head down so that nobody calls me anything here. And uh, that's okay. Uh, a lot of times we don't want to uh, be gifts for other people. And um, uh, my two-and-a-half-year-old nephew knows that very well. Um, uh, his name is Cooper. He doesn't like to be a gift to other people all of the time. He would rather receive gifts a lot. Really. And, 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 but even, though, even with that, sometimes Cooper is like, he wants to be a gift. Which is better than some of us in this building. Some, sometimes we, we're just, we've grown up saying, I am hardened against being a gift. I don't want that. Thank you very much. I am just going to gift myself. And what we call you is an immature jerk. Because maturity is always something that is put on a relative scale. And what Paul says here is that your maturity is being measured not against my cousin my, not against my nephew Cooper but against Jesus
But that's the maturity that you are being measured against. And that's the maturity that you should be seeking. And so some of us get into this spot where we're like, well, I'm good with my Christian life. I'm okay. No more striving for me. That's all right. I don't need to do anything else. And we say, no. Because there's this guy named Jesus. And you're not as mature as what he is. And when you get to be as mature as he is, then that's fine. Then you can stop being a gift to other people. Great. You'll probably have to get crucified, by the way. But when you get to that point, then then you can stop striving to be a gift for other people. Until then, you get to do that because he was mature enough to give his life for you. And so Paul goes on, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the maturity of Jesus, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. Don't be an immature jerk. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be out of the church. If you're an immature jerk, it doesn't mean that... Really? Alright, I'll finish up this point. If you're an immature jerk, it doesn't mean that you are going to be kicked out of the church. It doesn't mean that you are going to be kicked out of heaven. It doesn't mean that you are not going to be in the resurrection. Somebody else had their timer set too. But what it means is that we're going to have to carry your sorry butt. And we'll do it. Because we're gifts given to you. That's going to be tough. We're probably not going to like it all the time. But we'll do it. And you know why we'll do it? Because there's a maturity in the Son of God who came to this earth and saved this immature jerk who couldn't get his righteousness together, who couldn't stop sinning, who needed somebody to come and to be a gift to him. And if he could do that for me, then I'll do it for you. And you can do it for somebody else.